0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever and whenever you have to be watching or listening to us on the Great Wide World brought together by the internet. We are the last three guys to do a podcast here on a Sunday night is when our taping is occurring. Uh, we're going to be going remote for a little bit. We'll get into that in a uh, throughout the show and uh, why we're doing this. But first of all, let's go bring in our guest. It's college football is about ready to take center stage. We had some games. Yesterday, Notre Dame smacked around Navy in that game in Dublin. You also had UMass on the victorious side in a primetime matchup against New Mexico State and a couple of other games as well. But this Thursday night is the start of Labor Day weekend, and that's when college football really gets moving. And, of course, Georgia State will be hosting Rhode Island and to talk all things Panthers We're going to bring in our friend Ben Moore, the Georgia State beat writer from 247sports.com to break down this contest and the Georgia State 2023 season. Uh, He's with us today. Ben, how are you? Hey, great, fellas. Appreciate you having me. No problem. Glad to do it. Uh, So I guess the first thing we need to talk about for Georgia State is it begins and ends with Darren Granger, their quarterback, had a couple years in the system, very knowledgeable um, how, what's his game look like to you during what you've seen through, uh, the early part of fall practice? Yeah,
1: definitely. Besides, uh, you know, new, new, uh, conditioning coach, Mike Siriano, um, that was the one major change that coach Elliott made this offseason, season, making a shift there. At, uh, conditioning, uh, folks. And then, uh, basically, you know, Darren Graves was one of the guys that's obviously on uh, the weight program as well. He put on about 20 pounds, uh, looked visibly, uh, bigger. Uh, certainly in some of the off-season workouts and pictures, and Coach Elliott said that multiple times, that uh, that he definitely has seen some more size uh, out of Darren, uh, who already had a very strong deep ball uh, and had the ability, obviously, to take off the run. Uh, this just kind of adds another element to you know, really be uh, the size of some, some belt linebackers, basically, to be able to attack and really get out and, and not get tripped up by ankle tackles. So I've been really impressed with his work, and and just the overall size, he's not the only one, a uh, guy that put a significant weight uh, this offseason. And, and Coach Elliott has talked about it. They really, really wanted to challenge these guys, make them feel comfortable. Um, and i uh, interested to see, uh, certainly, Darren's third year as a starter, uh, in, in, uh, as you mentioned, second year in the system of Trent McKnight. So uh, re- really excited to see how this offense is going to get working. And obviously, some questions on the defensive side. But uh, Darren is certainly the catalyst and, and a guy that already has a 30-point per game Uh, offense last season and looking to build on that uh, this year
0: 18 touchdowns last season through for 2004 uh, about almost 2500 yards um so he seems to have the numbers on that is there anything that you think that he needs to be paying attention to working on as this season goes on
1: i think the biggest thing ultimately is just utilize his weapons you know he he doesn't have to be superman he doesn't have to be a superhero out there uh, and, and really go out there and do things outside of his character. Uh, he's played a ton of football. It's been, it's been I believe, his sixth camp going through between two seasons at Furman, uh, basically one one that you know, didn't happen didn't play, Then uh, will be his, you know, basically four here. So, um, and I, I think that's the uh, the next, el- you know, evolution of his game, being a leader as well. He's not a loud, rah guy. Uh, he's more of a lead-by, you know, kind of example guy. Uh, but he you know, did lead lead seven on seven this, this summer. Uh, really, kind of put, putting the uh, the onus on the receivers to kind of get better, uh, and, and it really starts in front of him as well with uh, several new offensive line faces. Uh, Coach Elliott and, and the uh, coaching staff went out to the transfer portal, grabbed some guys with some experience, grabbed some guys that uh, that are a little bit bigger, and what the uh, what the Panthers have lined up before. Uh, starting five in front of him, you know, will, will uh, weigh north 305 pounds across the board, so. He's going to have a lot of size in front of him, and, and uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, certainly uh, his, his improved frame at 6'4", and two twenty five
0: now. Uh, I'll turn it over, Daniel. What
1: do you have? Yes, uh, Ben.
2: Uh, I know you, you've seen them quite a lot uh, this off season, especially in the preseason. When you look at the, when you take a look at the forecast of the entire Sunbelt Conference,
1: where does Georgia State? in terms of being the same in that conference yeah I mean just depending on where you look there you know the Sun Belt east is one of the toughest uh, you know divisions of football no matter if it's five or power five which is really really uh, tough top to bottom uh, not a whole lot of lack of quality from you know the you know, James Madison and sick Carolinas to you know all the way down to to Old Dominion but um, yeah anywhere in between you know fourth and fifth in the division um, if you just kind of go throughout the the uh, sun Belt you're looking um, you know, basically near near the bottom, and that's going to happen. You know, there's a lot of losses uh, from in terms of personnel to the transfer portal. A lot of key guys left. But there still is a lot of unknown about this roster. Um, losing guys you know, to Miami, you, know, you had two starters basically. You know, to leave the program to go to Miami. One to Louisville. One to North Carolina. Um, you know, and defensive coordinator leaves. You know, to go to Cincinnati as well. So uh, there's certainly a lot of, a lot of question marks and folks that just don't know a lot of these individuals yet. Um, they saw a little bit of Marcus Carroll last year. Um, you know, you don't. Chakari Carter is an FCS All-American, All-Freshman Team. Uh, comes in and he's going to play in the slot. No one this level has seen him, but um, there are probably low expectations across the Sun Belt for Georgia State. But just if you look and dive a little bit deeper in their 2022, uh, seven of the eight losses were lost. Basically, you had leads in the second half, including games against South Carolina on the road in the third quarter, against North Carolina at home. Uh, there in the fourth quarter, the game was tied 28-28. So um, none of the games were, you know, blowouts. You know, they, they weren't losing by 25, 30 points. And I think a lot of that, uh, you know, uncomfortableness of the offseason and the experience gained, is tough as some of those lessons were. Uh, you know, they had to be learned here. And I uh, certainly looking forward to seeing uh, how they look starting out Thursday night. But, uh, yeah, just to answer your question, there's a lot of folks, Preseason prognosticators don't have them very high. You're going to see them either last or next to last in the the Sunbelt East. And uh, they're they're kind of taking that as a chip on their shoulder. They want to go out and surprise the people.
0: Yeah, four and eight uh, last season. uh, Only non-conference victory against Army. And uh, two, those four wins were, two were in a row and then two were in a row. So I think it's important to get off on a good foot this Thursday night against Rhode Island. Uh they definitely, I think the schedule kind of sets them up to do well in the early point. Uh their power five uh sacrificial game is not till the end against national champion against LSU. Um uh, not national champion, of course it's yes, Georgia. I'm talking about the women's basketball national champion LSU. Uh but again, so that schedule kind of sets it up for them. And you're right, with that four and eight record, they're gonna sleep on a lot of people will be sleeping on this club. And for the non-con schedule, you got Rhode Island, Connecticut, and then Charlotte. So, it, so especially with URI, and what do we know about URI, by the way?
1: Yeah, they uh, they they were come in ranked twenty fourth in the country. Um, that that poll may change tomorrow morning. Certainly, uh, so with some FBS games going on yesterday, uh, caught a little bit of of uh, some FBS games that were on TV, including uh, at Mercer, in North Alabama. But uh, no, I mean Rhode, Rhode Island. You know, they they they're balanced offensively. Uh, this isn't the Rhode Island team that we saw certainly in the Bill Curry days, where you had less scholarships in the old NEC. Uh, so this, they're back full of 63. Um, you know, they're going to want to come in here and, and build their playoff resume. That's the other side. They, they have aspirations to play in the postseason from the SPSI of things, and then SPS will certainly help with that. Uh, they have a very, a very experienced quarterback. I believe he's going into his seventh season, uh, taking advantage of both a COVID year and an injury year as well. Um, so he, he may be older than most people on the Georgia State roster and uh, maybe as old as uh, at least one of the coaches uh, on the Georgia State roster as well. So. Uh, no, it, it, it should be, you know, a good battle. This, this is kind of one of these, uh, you know, tests as well. with Georgia State has they haven't played an NPS opponent in three seasons. So, you know, finding, you know, they should have more depth. They have, should have more talent at basically every position. Um, you have experienced quarterbacks on either side. So, uh, you know, Georgia State basically is able to do what they want to do uh, and, and run the football, you know, be balanced. And as I mentioned earlier, Darren Granger just not having to do anything outside of his comfort zone and, and outside the normal. Um, they should roll to a victory on Thursday night.
0: Well, I hope so. Uh, you talked about the defense, how it has to do better. Name somebody on the defense who really caught your eye during uh, fall practice.
1: Yeah, there. Uh, I think Javon Dennis up front. Um, you know, he he's a guy that is, is kind of in the pace center. Every coach you talked to has basically mentioned his name, kind of being able to wreak havoc on the inside. Um, you've got you had guys on the defensive line that needed to step forward. I think also this scheme is going to you know. It's certainly is going to be a lot different, a lot more aggressive. You're going to see blitzing from all three levels. Um, and Dennis is just one of those guys that kind of gets in the backfield. But, um, you know, I, I, I will say, you know, the Panthers really did go into the, the portal. Certainly they, the portal give us and the, and the portal take it. But uh, they went in and grabbed Kevin Twent, outside linebacker from, from Clemson, uh, Henry Bryant up at the nose guard, a little kind of undersized guy, worked extremely well with his hands, uh, went in and got a defensive back by the name of Gavin Pringle uh, from um, guy that was second in the nation last year in pass breakups. Um, but, I mean, old steady back there, five. You know, Breckley Brown, uh, no big deal. Uh, you know, just basically another year, another start. Um, he's a guy that may not have the most the flashiest stats just because everyone in the Sun Belt and everyone on the schedule knows who he is. Um, you know, but he's the guy that you're going to see featured at times. You're going to see different, um, you know, multiple uh, on the defensive side of the ball where you may have. Three three five four two five setups. You're going to have a lot more film to deal with than you had in previous seasons, where it was more bend don't break. Uh, Chad stacks has mentioned he wants to be aggressive. He wants to send pressure and really, really, um, you know, take advantage of, of offenses that just don't have their stuff together. And that could start Thursday night. So we've seen, you know, could, could come out with sloppy play and, and try to jump them early. Daniel, uh, Leon, Leon, do you have a question?
2: Uh, not right now. Not right
0: now. Okay. All right. Well, j- well, don't be afraid to jump in, Leon.
3: Yeah, I got you. Yeah, I had to get my I to, my video muted involuntarily.
0: Ah. Okay.
3: Yeah, so that, that, that kind of cues my absence if I go in and out because my I, I had to reset the the volume and everything. Well,
0: we see, we see the sneakers in your uh on your background,
3: so. Right. Yeah, yeah, I've been. Yeah, I've been, I'm 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 filming on location in a different part of my uh, different part of my spot. You know. Um, I had a bit of a. The roof came in, literally. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a bit interesting right now. Yeah.
0: Well, glad you're okay. Glad you're okay. You weren't there when it happened. Yeah,
2: the, yeah man. Ian, yeah. I do have a question for you. Um, who is your prohibitive
1: favorite in the Sun Belt? Yeah, it's gonna be a battle, man. Um, I know Coastal Carolina's getting a lot of love. Certainly, um, so they have you know one of the best best quarterbacks in the country, and Grayson McCall. Uh, he's looking to be four-time you know you Player of the Year, uh, which has never happened before in the league. Um, you know James Madison has had an extremely strong year. Um, you know, they they're ineligible as they as they still transition. From
0: Yeah, I hear a lot of love for App State, um, mainly because it's the program. It always seems to have that that cachet behind it. Uh, you talked about Marshalls in year two, James Madison in year two. How how did they kind of um, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How did they kind of meld into the league, fit into the league? What was their transition like last year?
1: Yeah, it, was, it, was, it seemed pretty easy, uh, certainly from the from the outside looking in. And, and I think a big part of that uh, is, is well just preparing for it. And, you make make the transition from SPS to FBS, um, you know, just down the street, Kendall's all doing the same thing. A lot about roster management, you know, finding out, and saying, "Hey, look, um, we know we're not going to you know, make a playoff this season, so let's you know, register guys, let's move guys." Uh, Marshall just recruits extremely well; uh, they do a great job, basically identifying talent. Uh, but I think from an overall, uh, you know, the big thing the Sun Belt wanted to do, is, and you're certainly not seeing it in, in uh, realignment across the country as we've seen the last few weeks. Um, they've really, really stuck to their regional guns. They want to stay here in, in their geographical footprint, which is uh, you know, a phrase that uh, former Commissioner Benson used to utilize a lot. But uh, you know, really trying to find those regional rivalries, trying to identify uh, you know, the schools that fit and make sense for them uh, in the Sun Belt as they continue to grow. And, and um, you know, with that, you're seeing higher ratings, you know, certainly attendance is up around the Sun Belt. Um, and I think it just it continues to, to build bigger and better. Uh, robberies and as the team, basically uh, continue to impress and, and spend money on facilities. That's, that's something that I think that you've seen across the league as well. Um, I think Southern Miss is is, a, is another team that can really be dangerous. Um, you know, and, and they have you know they they have talent up and down the roster as well. So uh, interested to see the the newbies how they develop in the year two, or do they have a sophomore slump? You know, that's that's the other side. Is they getting you know, more accustomed to the Sun Belt? Uh, but with the transfer portal, this you know. Now, really, in the last two or three seasons, you, know, you can get you can improve your roster significantly overnight. You can go and grab eight to ten guys who can be impact guys, uh, either starters or, or in the rotational side of things, and, and, uh, and provide an opportunity to play right away. So it, it certainly has you know, changed college football and Sunbelt, specifically. And we've seen some guys come in and, and, and have an immediate impact.
0: Talking with Ben Moore from two four seven sports.com, previewing Georgia State football for two thousand twenty-three. You mentioned getting more rivalries together. We all know the Georgia State, Georgia Southern rivalry has been very prominent, but who else do you think Georgia State can get that second rivalry with? Be it Troy, be it South? Yeah, I mean it's you know I think
1: South is an interesting one just because they they go back to their club days basically who both programs were uh, in their NCAA sanctioned and just had a club team. Uh, Troy has been a pretty good battle uh, back and forth, and and certainly their uh, their play-by-play guy uh, kind of going on about the uh, the horn in Center Park Stadium Get you, you've got to find games that matter, you've got to find games that are close, um, and I, I think you need both teams to, to you know, be victorious. And, um, you have some, some candidates, but it's still it's going to be still that team down south, uh, first and foremost. It should be a great one in October as well,
0: yeah. Because we all because Georgia State has seemed to have the better of it the last few seasons, of course. Say, of course, you look at Panther fans saying, Oh, it's not really a rivalry simply because we've been winning so much. And, of course, that infuriates the people down in Statesboro. So they are throbbing at the mouth when the Panthers come visiting. Uh, a couple Thursday night games, again, besides the besides the Rhode Island game, I think Coastal is a, is a Thursday night game. Of course, with the schedule and with ES, with the status with ESPN, you know that the Panthers are going to have to play some Thursday night games. Uh, how does that factor into what Coach Elliott's doing in terms of his preparation?
1: Yeah, a couple, couple short weeks. It is the change. That is the difference. Um, you've got to look and prepare, kind of diving in right away. Um, you know, you, like as yeah, you mentioned, you got three uh, Thursday night games, and especially I think at least one of those turns is, is a Saturday, Thursday back again. So
0: and um, on the cool. road too.
1: Exactly. So it's a actually bit they're
0: terrible. actually they're I'm sorry, actually they're both on the road. Um, sure. after, after, after this Thursday, yeah, they're
1: they're both on the road. Uh, and that's part of the ESPN deal as well. Is they wanted more linear uh, options. They didn't want ESPN Plus as much. They wanted to you know, kind of to take some opportunities um, just because the ratings have been so good, and so solid, so uh, across the league. So they wanted you know have some of their prime time teams, prime time games. Um, and I think it's a, again, it's a huge opportunity for the program to continue to build and, and continue to be stronger and improve better. Um, but that's ultimately that's how you win titles. Yeah. You know, the coaching the coaching is very good, but ultimately. At End of the day, and sort of at the end of the season, uh, the talent typically does lay out. So, uh, as this program continues to grow and build, and, and Coach Elliott has, a you know, big opportunity, and it, it's a big year for him as well. Um, you know, he's last, last season was only his third uh, losing season in his career as a player or coach, um, and you know, didn't make an overhaul changes, we mentioned earlier, but um, you know, just, you know, it, it's an important season for him. Um, you know, his contract's up at the end of December uh, of 2025. Most coaches don't go into that final year, so you're looking at probably this year that he really needs to, to kind of make a statement and justify an extension here or elsewhere. So, a um, you know, big opportunity you know, for the program and Coach Elliott. As you mentioned, September looks to be a lot more manageable than it has in previous seasons. So, I uh, need to get off to a good start starting Thursday. Yeah,
0: exactly. They have, a, oh, I mentioned the two roads Saturday, Thursdays. There's one at Charlotte, and then the Thursdays at Conway for Coastal, and then later on, Lafayette on a Saturday, and then States, and then, um, I'm sorry, Lafayette on a Saturday, and I just had it here. i got to go find it. Uh, Georgia Southern on a Thursday. And that's probably the big, the biggest change. Georgia Southern, that rivalry game, on a Thursday, yes, it's going to be on ESPN too, but, but boy, that's going to be a completely different atmosphere for this club.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. And I believe that's the weekend of Georgia Ford as well. So you you may have quite a few folks basically on their way to Jacksonville that
0: weekend. And that might be what part of it, and that might be part of the allure of putting it on Thursday. You get that you get that traffic down to Jacksonville. Maybe people want to make a long weekend of it, stay in Savannah Friday night before making the trip down to Jacksonville. I mean that's gotta be a, that's definitely something they could they could try to package and try to build on. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, uh, so we're, we, basically if you, you're talking about uh, how Coach Elliott make, wants to make a statement this year. Really, the only way for him to make a statement is to make a bowl. So bottom line, Ben, is this a bowl eligible – will this be a bowl eligible team when we get down to November and December? Do, I
1: believe I believe so. I mean, I think that's, a, that's almost like the floor for this program at this point. You know, you, Coach Kelly's done it before. Um, and, and the biggest question ultimately is, is, can the program beat teams that's not supposed to? Right? Are you supposed to knock off the team? You know, a well Rhode Island, probably a Charlotte. Um, you know, Old Dominion's been scuffling, basically, as, as they're transitioning in. Um, you know, there's, I mean, you have to go onto the road and, and, and pick off a couple teams. The road schedule is brutal. I mean, I, I, the October schedule. Uh, really, if you look at October to, to November, those eight games in a row are, are really, really tough. So, uh, if this team can get off to a three-one start and find three or four wins in stumble play, absolutely, this this can be a bowl team. Uh, if you do stumble, you know if you, you lose the game you're not supposed to, like Charlotte last year or ULM last year, uh, then you're you're, you know, you are gonna it's gonna be a whole lot tougher uh, to go back to mm-hmm. a bowl. But I, I think this team has the talent to do it and the experience to do it at key positions and. Uh, certainly a good way to go out and end a career for Darren Granger.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's probably the best, one of the better Georgia state quarterbacks we've had. We really need to send him off on a high note, two years at Furman. Again, this will be his third year at, at Georgia state. So he really needs to to have that career go out very well. And that's the way to do it to get, to get a bowl. But you're right. I think there are, the victories are there in the schedule. Uh, They just got to steal one somewhere along the way. And hopefully, don't stumble too much at all. Um, Daniel, um, do, do you have anything else?
2: I do. Um, Leon, do you have anything?
0: Yeah, I do. Okay.
2: Um.
3: Well, since the Sun Belt kind of split in twenty eighteen, everything has kind of gone through on the football in through Appalachian State. October nineteenth, will we see Georgia State? I know you know are not, not in but is there a good chance that we can see after Georgia State
1: and come be played of at the Athletic state? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be great to break the street. Uh Apps own Georgia State break, you know, certainly in their in their history, short history and, and for whatever reason, uh, you've got a lot of app personnel obviously in Atlanta. The um, you know, the team has just not played well overall uh, against app normally and the games have not been closed. So uh, there, there will be a whole lot more uh, you know, on the line. You know, app struggled last year uh, with Sean Clark. Um, some coaching you know, attrition there. Uh, they did not make a bowl. Lost on the last second game winning, um, you know, basically, uh, you know Hail Mary from Jordan Southern. They are on the road that ended their season. Uh, lost, basically, to North Carolina in stunning fashion uh, to open the season. So they're open and closed. Uh, there may be questions swirling around Sean Clark and his job, uh, specifically in, by October. So the Panthers do have a unique opportunity to try to knock, knock try the Mountaineers at home. Um, they have not played well at Center Park Stadium against App State either, uh, so I, I definitely think the opportunity is there, and um, just just the familiarity of, of what App's going to do. Um, I think again, Chad Staggs coaching in the league at uh, Coastal Carolina the last few years as well, uh, being able to know the Sunbelt East opponents up and down and what they do certainly helps. Um, I, I definitely say it's possible. It's kind of one of those things where they're going to have to show me before they can actually, you know, before I can lean on them too hard and say, yeah, absolutely, that, that's a done deal.
2: Yeah. And, uh, since we're talking about NCAA football and NCAA in general, um, we've asked uh, about the, probably the last two or three guests that we've had on our show about this. Um, and we've talked about it extensively on the podcast. And, and that's the fluctuation of teams moving to different conferences and, and whatnot with USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington moving to the Big Ten – um, there's several teams moving to the Big 12. Um, first, two questions. One, how do you feel about the 2 of teams moving, and how does this affect the Sun Belt?
1: Let's yes, it does. Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's it's college football. The only thing uh, constant is change. You know, we've seen that certainly over the last 15, 20 years, you know, the disintegration of the East football kind of creating the new ACC. Um, you add, continue to add to the SEC uh, and the Big Ten. I mean, the, the power conferences continue to get stronger and bigger and wider, um, we, as we've seen kind of in the last few months. Um, it, it is a survival game in a lot of ways, and I think it's also a, a comparison trap for a lot, of, a lot of teams, because they look at it and you see Florida State, you know, saber-rattling. Uh, Clemson kind of quietly going about their business behind the scenes, telling people they weren't happy with the ACC, which is probably going to prompt additional changes. Uh, coming here as soon as probably this week, from what we hear, um, what's being reported. But I, I think you could have to, some potential trickle down to the Sun Belt. There are teams that could be candidates to leave if they so choose. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have SMU potentially in the ACC as soon as this week. Um, if that opens up another opportunity, basically for another school to go after an AAC bid, um, is that Texas State could they go ahead and, and stay in the Sun Belt, or, or say in say the state of Texas, and now the Sun Belt has an opening. Sunbelt needs some openings. Conference USA basically got raided, so they had to go into the FBS ranks and go grab Kennesaw State and Sam Houston State, Jacksonville State, uh, who played yesterday. So um, you're going to see some of that. There's just a lot of shifting going on and a lot of teams and, and programs are moving around trying to find better opportunities for them. But um, yeah, the Sunbelt has stayed very ardent and saying, look, we're going to protect our regional robberies and regional teams and uh, you know, convincing those programs to just stick with that um, they'll do what's best for them and growing their their TV product, um, getting them in more homes, you know, giving them a bigger and better opportunity to go out and recruit better players. Um, yeah, but it's 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 unique at this point, and, and a lot of folks, I'm one of them as well, who, who thinks it's going to be an extremely strong league uh, again this year. And, and folks are coming up and making a statement. Um, you already had teams, multiple teams that received votes in the Associated press poll. Um, you know, I think there's a unique opportunity. Uh, for a lot of those schools to stay, continue to rise, instead of to stretch themselves out, because at this level too, as the Group of Five, they're not going to have the budget that a Stanford mm-hmm. or Cal or Oregon are, are going to have. So they're going to have to be a lot more strategic with their financials, where it's not just a football decision, right? You have up uh, 17 or 18 other varsity sports that you've got to got to think about. So um, the mm-hmm. the brand is certainly strong and getting stronger, and and uh, I think the football product is representing that as well. And. And uh, we'll see. By the, by the next time you know you guys come to the podcast, we may have four or five more teams you know that are making decisions to move to Beltsburg. So uh, we, we've just seen a, a whirlwind of change really in the last you know, 14 to 16
0: months. Uh, ben, while we've got you here, let's talk a little Georgia State basketball. Still about 10 weeks away from the start of the season. First year of Jonas Hayes. Did not go very well. That is an understatement. The only 10 wins on the season, none. Away from home, 0 for 11 on the road, 0 for one in neutral sites. They lost their last eight games to end the season. Uh, what has um, the returning, re- leading returning players is Dwan du- Odom, with who had uh, 13 points last year. What have you heard about Georgia State men's basketball as they try to get back into the swing of things, reverse that slide for year two of Jonas Hayes? Yeah, the biggest thing was just
1: recruiting shooters and scorers, guys can you know that really can can uh, score. Dribble score off the bounce, B double to shoot. Um, that was the one conscious thing that, that Coach Hayes really did this offseason, find guys that could shoot from the outside. Uh, last year was just a disaster. Everyone would tell you from inside and outside the program uh, 10 and 21 is just unacceptable downtown Atlanta uh, for what has been built here the last decade. And Most folks were, were shocked at, at the drop off. Um, but I think there was a lot of expectation and, and a lot of expectation not met. Um, and now uh, you've had many, pro, many players leave. Uh, Leave the program. There's not a single player that was here under Coach Lanier that is now on the roster. Uh, that, you know, you had uh, seven transfers come in. You had uh, two all-state all caliber players uh, join the program, and DK Manuel and, and Bashan Leonard. Um, those guys have, are super physical as freshmen, um, and, and I'm very interested to see how Coach Hayes kind of blends it together. Uh, but he, but this team is deep. It's athletic. They went into you know got experienced guys. Um, got guys at key spots uh, to really take some of the pressure off DeJuan Odom and Brendan Tucker, uh, but you got legitimate five or six guys that could shoot from three, uh, which this team just didn't have last year. You know, you really had you know DeJuan who was who was kind of a driving kick guy, well, he didn't have an option to kick, uh, so they went out and got Julian Mackey, who was a junior college All-American um guy that shot, you know, basically 40% from three. Ricky Bradley Jr. from BMI, who was, a, you know, basically a true freshman, uh, averaged double digits and shot 39% from three. Uh, really going out and getting some experienced guys as well, going to Longwood and going to, you know, to other places to grab guys. Uh, Lucas Taylor, a name that, that I keep hearing over and over again, uh, a little bit of a small forward, super athletic. I uh, was at Wake Forest. and, um, You know, just basically got I banged up a few times. Uh, another name to, to look at is, is Josh Taylor, a guy that signed with Georgia out of high school, went to Georgia. Uh, then a coaching change happened, goes to transfers to East Tennessee State. He's six nine. Uh, he, I saw him play this summer in the ABL. Um, just super athletic guy, six nine, about two hundred and twenty pounds. And then DK, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, DK Manuel is, is, is a valedictorian of his high school class. Seven foot one, two hundred pounds. Uh, guy that can shoot threes, uh, shot almost forty. Percent from threes itself. So, very, very different element that we're going to see uh, guys that you just haven't really seen in that style. Uh, and I think Coach Hayes really wants to be aggressive with the guys, uh, get out and press, get out and get up and down the floor, and really push the pace. Uh, the team was very solid defensively last season, but did not have the scores. This year, it may be the other way. They may have a lot more scoring and maybe to ramp up the defense. but. Uh, we know one thing, Coach Hayes, You know he he preaches really tough, hard-nosed defense, and this team's going to defend uh, pretty well. And and uh, some of the some of the schedule starting to leak out. Now I believe there's uh, there's there's games basically with Kennesaw that have already been firmed up up there in Kennesaw. Uh, they're going to uh, worked on a home and home with Mercer, um, and uh, the Auburn game got kicked to the following season mm. as well. And then of course the multi-team event, uh, old buddies Little Rock used to be in the Sun Belt, are going to be coming to the sports arena. So. Um, you know, it's it should be a, a, a good year for the Panthers. It's just how high can they ascend? It really just comes down to you know staying healthy, um, and the guys, all the new faces on the roster just gelling. That's the biggest thing ultimately with so many new guys uh, joining the roster is just saying, all right, who plays where when. And basketball is such a game where guys have to know another role, right? They want to know, all right, am I starting? Am I coming off the bench and playing 10, 12, 15, 18 minutes a game? Uh, you may have different guys that start the game versus finish the game. So um, I, I think Coach Hayes has certainly a whole lot more options this year, and uh, you're going to see a lot more pace and a lot more scoring uh, down the complications there.
0: Yeah, I called some of uh, D.K. Manu- Maniel's games from Green Forest Christian last season. Really impressed me how athletic he was, being so big. He could really move with the basketball. So, and uh, talking about the, let's talk a little bit about the convocation center. It, that is, is, how much of an upgrade is that over the sports arena?
1: No, it's seismic. I mean, it's, it's a huge, you can go out and uh, attract bigger-name opponents, uh, certainly recruit a lot better. Um, you know, you, they're, they're in the hunt for several guys uh, that, that are national recruits. Um, this season, uh, one, one will be visiting this upcoming week, weekend. Dylan Miller at a compass prep in Arizona. Uh, they're chasing several other big-time guys, um, and, and it just widens the footprint, right? You know, these kids have seen you know, Georgia State on TV. They've seen them play in the NCAA tournament uh, the last few years. They've seen them, you know, go go and compete with bigger names. It's not just you know the RJ Hunter. It's, hey, that happened. Um, a lot of these kids basically were. You know, in, in elementary school when that happens. So seeing, you know, them compete with the Gonzaga two years ago, um, you know, that, that memory is not that far away, as well as just building, you know, first-class facilities uh, and being right downtown and, and really having a you know class, uh, you know, A-plus uh, price facility as well where there's NBA guys that hang out there constantly. Um, you know, they have, uh, you know, folks that will come into town on the next board NBA game. And utilize the facilities. Um, mm-hmm. Even think Kyrie Irving was courtside of the game last season as well. So um, it's there's there's a lot more name, a lot more uh, you know, buzz, and, and now it's just paying off, right? You got to got to have wins you got to have payoffs for for the fans. that continues to build, but uh, it, it was it was a game changer to, to have that facility to continue to grow and, and uh, the you know the upgrades that are potentially on the horizon. All right,
0: uh, Daniel. Do you have anything else? All right, Leon. Leon, do you have anything else?
2: Yeah. Uh, this,
3: um, as far as what you know, that's a heck of a drop off. You know, if you look at the past few years, Georgia State has, you know, NCAA tournament appearances, whatnot.
1: Then to go into like a ten-win
3: season, you know, can we say like over or under
2: sixteen wins this year? I, yeah, I,
1: I think so. Uh, I, I think just from a talent standpoint, I think a schedule standpoint as well. Just uh, heartbreaking game since you lost last year, lost. George second, at the buzzer, um, you know, he had a multi-team event, you know, tournament. Uh, we lost another game, basically, at the buzzer as well. Um, I, I think you're going to see this team, you know, again, have that opportunity uh, and just I think they're going to jump some teams in the Sun Belt. Uh, the Sun Belt lost some of their better players. Jordan Brown from Louisiana led them to, uh, to an you know, NCAA berth uh, last season. He jumped in the transfer portal, so he's gone. Um, you know, you have some of the newbies there, Southern Miss and James Madison, Uh, Had some losses as well, Um, and also a lot of the new guys. Old Dominion, they they had older players. You know, were they prepared to come into the league? Now, who do they replace with um, as well? So, um, you know, South Alabama was a was a you know pick and click very very early last year, and they had a really rough go of it um, last season as well. So, last year was a little bit strange for a lot of the traditional powers. Um, You know, Louisiana has been solid, not spectacular last year. Obviously, they they took advantage of it, had the opportunity. Um, There, but no, I I definitely see a a lot more greener pasture for this program, and and, you know I I think as well as John mentioned it, you know a few minutes ago, uh, just going out and winning the first road game. Go ahead and get that ridiculous stat out of the way. Uh, Just losing every single game on the road uh, just had 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 to be an absolute mental thing by the end of the season, and guys started breaking down injury wise, and and truly guys that probably didn't need to be playing were playing significant minutes um, because of those injuries. So I think you're going to have a lot more depth. A lot more uh, talent and uh, scoring ability, and, and and it may be one of those things too, where you may have four, five, six guys um, kind of rotate on who can be the guy. You know, you're not going to have an Archie Hunter or, or Ryan Harrow or DeMarcus Thomas necessarily. Um, you know, could could happen, but I think that you know definitely the depth on this roster and, and just the scoring ability from what I've seen so far has been super impressive. So the team wants to get up and down and, and, and play closer to the 80s, not not certainly in the 60s that they had last season.
0: Ben, do you think that uh, depending on how this goes, that Jonas's Jonas Hayes's seat is getting a little bit lukewarm?
1: Um, I, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to say that at this point, just because you know year one. I mean, you saw similar results, and you especially starting out rough like you did, uh, you know, last season. That it was so many home games, um, that kind of helped a little bit. Um, it's going to be more back and forth now. Um, you've got big games as well, Mercer and will say, You don't want to fall further down the ladder. Uh, there in the state of Georgia, because you know you went through what, what ten, twelve, fifteen matchups, knocking off every single team in the state. Um, some even several times when it was uh, you know, with Georgia Southern and, and, and Tech and, uh, and Mercer. So um, I, 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 I anticipate a lot more. I think basically it was an outlier year last season. Um, and I think Coach Hayes basically, you know, has, has responded in, in kind. He and his staff went out and identified all the deficiencies and said, look, we're going to do this in, in, in many different ways, a lot different. And uh, he's gone out as well and, and scouted other programs and seeing what they did well, which you know, credited him as basically a first year coach. He does. He's not going to have all the answers, right? Going out and trying to better himself and, and better his program and, um, you know, stay the course. So uh, guys certainly have a, a level of expectation on them. Um, they were wearing shirts all through the workouts uh, this offseason with 10 and 21 on it. So they knew they knew how well that, that shouldn't happen, and, and I've caught up with a couple of their players uh, this summer, and they just know, hey, look, that, that was not going to happen again that's not the standard, and they know what the standard is, and, and that's uh, certainly winning conference championships and playing in the
0: NCAA tournament. All right, Ben, I think we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us here. Ben Moore from 247 Sports joining us here in the last three guys do a podcast talking all things Georgia State football, and basketball. So hopefully things will get rolling for the Panthers this Thursday night against the Rams of Rhode Island. So we'll be sure to check in with you throughout the season. Thanks again. Sounds
2: good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks. thanks for
0: having me. All right, thanks. No problem. All right, that was Ben Moore from uh, 247 Sports, talking all things Georgia State. I'm John Morgan with Daniel Bolton and Leon Brown here In the last three guys to do a podcast. Uh, we got about 20 more minutes to talk, so let's go into the events of the week. A uh, big thing, the one thing that surprised me, this came down on Friday, is that uh Trey Lance from San Francisco on the move, and I'm sure Leon's going to weigh in on this. He is now in Dallas, traded for a draft pick. Uh, what does that do to Dak Prescott? Should Dak Prescott be feeling a little bit anxious about his position in Big D, Leon? And Leon's having trouble with his mic, so Daniel.
2: Simply because of the fact that they need a backup quarterback. Uh, Of course, Will Greer uh, this past weekend he had a tryout, probably for another team. uh, Simply because of the new, uh, they have a new rule for uh, for the quarterbacks. I believe it's only two that could be up, and then you can have one on the practice squad. I think that's how the rule goes. I might be mistaken about that one, but Will Greer actually. uh, he auditioned, you know, to be a backup, for another team to be on another team practice squad or whatnot. This is a good move for Dallas. This is a questionable move in Detroit Lance, right? Here you are the third overall pick in the draft just two years ago and it was set up for you to be the guy over in San Francisco yet you tell your ACL after Garoppolo tore his and then a guy named Brock Purdy showed up Mr. Irrelevant. He shuffles up and then shows out, and now he is the future for the San Francisco 49ers. So that leaves you in a limbo. Um things like this just happen, right? This is sports, this is what it's all about. And I, I just believe that it was a it, it's a great setback for a comeback for him. Uh he have to stay the course and just understand, hey, look if, if I can get healthy, if I can get better. You know, again, he tore his ACL, so you really couldn't help that. But I, I really feel that he will have—he'll um, be great under Dak Prescott. I—I I, I just really don't think Prescott is under any kind of immense pressure. A lot of people say that, and the only reason why is because of the money that he got. Right? He—he he set the bar for what quarterbacks should make, or what quarterbacks are going to make now, and leading on to the future. So, of course, that's where the pressure on Prescott would be if he doesn't – and if he doesn't succeed, Trey Lance is right there. So Trey Lance, went healthy, and make a play. And he can make about five plays. So that's what – and, yeah, you can say that he's breathing down his back. I mean, he had Andy Dalton last year as a backup. So he was getting – he was getting breathed. Was, he
0: was getting pushed. Was he was getting pushed, really. He was
2: getting pushed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So he's going to get pushed again, and not only that, because there are still high expectations for Dallas. No, they're not going to win the division. I, I you know, I think Philadelphia is the favorite out of the NFC. Period. But they're still, they're still supposed to be where they were last year. They got about twelve wins last year, but still missed out on the division title. But they got to win against Philadelphia, so they're expected to get there or possibly to an NFC championship game, which they haven't been to one of those since ninety six. So that's where that's where the ceiling is right now for Dak Prescott. Yeah. I didn't I didn't like the move.
0: Okay.
3: Uh I, I feel that as you know if you're in Dallas, you guys haven't met the playoffs really Dak Prescott has been quarterback. I think their their uh, their expectations. And I, oh, I could be wrong. Did they they missed the playoffs one time, am I right?
0: Uh they might have but but the point that Daniel's making is they get in but they don't do anything.
3: Right. right. So, right. Yeah, but having a quarterback like Trey Lynch and Jack Prescott on the same roster is like why? I would I would send I would've just if I was a forty nineers I would have sent, and, and that's why I say why. Because you guys haven't, one of the reasons why you haven't done much in the playoffs is, you know, parts of the team and, and, and the quarterback went out. But why put pressure in the quarterback like that? I would have sent him somewhere where he could play because he's not going to play.
2: And it, it, the
3: chances he may not, play. his career is not going to blossom to his fullest potential while playing in front of an incumbent quarterback like Dak Prescott who has a hefty contract already, he's not going to play. You know, he, he, even if Dak gets hurt, they're going to put they're, they're going to put Jack back in the lineup. So it's kind of like they killed his career while he's still in the crib, if that makes sense. You know, they, they should have sent him to somewhere like Tampa Bay, somewhere like that, or sent him somewhere where there's not an incoming quarterback that can ensure that he will not get any kind of playing time. I didn't like the move. I I I didn't like the move whatsoever. I I I didn't I I didn't agree with it whatsoever at all.
0: Well, the thing the thing about it is with with San Francisco is they already got rid of Jimmy G. They sent him to Las Vegas. Now they get rid of Trey Lance. It's just that if Brock Purdy goes down, they I mean they're how much? Yeah, they don't really have a backup, and because of that, that's what Daniel was talking about. How it, they? It's easier to stash an emergency quarterback on your practice team just to avoid that kind of that kind of situation. Uh, I'm just and, sorry about that. I made to cut you
3: off. Now. No, no,
0: you're good. You're good.
3: Especially in light of what happened to the San Francisco last Right. They were literally down four quarter, a uh, three quarterback. Why would you go off and get rid of a viable backup? Just in case something happens to your main, just in case something happens to your first game quarterback, why not have a legit competition mm-hmm. for the starting position? Right. You have know, a war party based on something that he's done midseason. And I said, and then I said the move made the move the move made zero sense whatsoever. So now the 49ers are essentially out there naked. And you leave your you leave your you leave your offense in the hands of a former third quarterback. I don't get paid millions of dollars. Yet, OK. They do. And you mean to tell me that you guys left your a, a, a team that made a deep run to the playoffs, I mean, they have Super Bowl potential? And you guys will have a viable backup just in case nine six happens, which very well could.
0: It very well could. I you probably will. Yeah, but my cons- well,
3: my
0: I, my concern though, Leon, is what do you think this does to Dak? How does it, it... put
3: pressure? It puts pressure on him. You have a hungry rookie who feels he has a lot to prove.
0: That's true. That's true.
3: On your back, on your back. This is the same thing. This is the reason why they didn't want Cam Newton in New England. They didn't want Cam Newton backing up Mac Jones, so they didn't want Mac Jones thinking that, hey, if I throw a series of incompletions, that I'm being replaced by a quarterback that is potentially better than I am. I'm not saying that Trey Lance is better than than Dak Prescott, but he has the potential. His ceiling is pretty high, which made no sense on why Frisco got rid of him.
2: So, here's I think here's why. Um, Donald actually won the second string quarterback um,
0: job. So Darnold's over there in San Fran.
2: Sam Donald won, okay. the, won the job. Yeah, remember he got released once Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I'm sorry. Well,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Once Rodgers, Rodgers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers went there, and then, of course, still
0: Zach Wilson was over there with the Jets. He's their number okay. two guy now. Their
2: number two guy, so he was going to get pushed out of the door. So Darnold had somewhere to go, which was San Francisco. And I think Darnold actually won the job from last. And I think that's how everything started, that's how the trade started. Um, I believe they got a third and a fourth round pick. I know they got a fourth,
0: I know they got a fourth, not sure about the third, but I know they got a
2: fourth. But they did get a fourth round pick, and you know guys, we've seen in past drafts with third, fourth round, those mid-round picks, sometimes you miss that that diamond in the rough and you can find it in the third and fourth
3: round. Like I said, I don't get paid millions of dollars, but I got two eyes. And what I know is that, okay, I I think Sam Darnold Darnold is a viable NFL quarterback. He didn't really have a, he, he lost his job a forty-five-year-old Aaron Rodgers. They, they they elected to go with a forty-five-year-old over over Sam Darnold. Okay, so now you have a rookie who was the starting quarterback going into going into last year. Unfortunately, suffered an ACL injury. You know, everybody hates those, yeah. but it happened on his rookie year. His ceiling. Is pretty high. I'm not, I'm not taking a rookie with a high ceiling and say, I'm not about to take Sam Darnold over a rookie that's high. Ceiling. I would have sent Sam Darnold elsewhere. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that just evidently know something I don't, I, I don't, I, I don't know. But, Hey, I just hope they know what they're doing.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, listen, when you're doing that, and you have a fluctuation of, of quarterbacks that's moving around, it's it's a gamble. It, you're saying that, okay, we believe in this guy who actually wrote us to the NFC Championship game, and, and let's face it, what if he's still healthy? What if he didn't hurt his elbow in that title game? Do does San Francisco still, the San Francisco win that game. Mm-hmm. We can't really fairly assess that because they were they were diminished to a, a one dimensional team, and everybody already knew what they were going to do. So, I mean, can we really say that? Look, Purdy got them to the NFC Championship game. There's no question about that. Along with that defense, and of course, they had a stout running game and Debo Samuel's out there doing whatever he wants to do, right? So yeah, it's a it's a heck of a gamble when you're getting when you're letting somebody young like Trey Lance go who hasn't even reached his peak yet. So it is, and and then you rely on Sam Darnold, who was considered one of the best quarterbacks, one of the best prospects to come out of UNC and look at him now. You know now he's a backup. Oh yes, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a gamble, but it's sometimes it's a gamble that you have to take. And it's either gonna work for you or it's not. Remember they took Dallas took a gamble on Dak Prescott. They got him in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that. So he had to go out there and he had to prove himself, which he did. Which he did. Now, listen. If he wants to please Dallas the Dallas faithful and we all know how
0: Cowboys fans are If he wants to please that group he's got to get past Philadelphia no excuses got
2: to
0: get past the Eagles he's got to get to to the at least to the NFC championship game he's got to win Facebook. yeah he's got to win on the road which he can not he's got to win on the road yeah right cuz he's okay at home I it's know. just getting to the road that troubles him uh speaking of Aaron Rodgers uh he turns forty in December, so he's not forty-five. Uh, I watched the I watched the Jets Giants game yesterday. The whole thing, Jets won at 24 Aaron Rodgers played two series. He hadn't played in a preseason game since two thousand eighteen. Uh, didn't do much on his first series. let a touchdown on the second series. He found Wilson for a good score. Uh, then they turned it over to Zach Wilson, and he had a pretty. And he had a couple good drives on wet. There as well, but man, Aaron Rodgers really playing like he has something to prove. I mean, especially when they had him in, he hadn't played the first two preseason season games, but they stick him in for this one first time in five years that he plays in the preseason.
2: Man, I didn't know that. I, I thought he had been playing in the preseason, game. but didn't he? But the, what is your assessment,
0: John? Because I thought he looked pretty good, yeah. I thought he looked good too. Once he got comfortable, yeah, I thought he looked good, especially with that. Although, to be fair, the Giants did not have their first-string defense in. They played second-string the whole game. I don't think they played any of their starters. The Jets did... Yeah, the Jets played first-string offense and defense at least through the first quarter, and you notice the Giants finally turned it up once those players left. Sauce Gardner played the first two series, almost had an interception. Now, I will say this. I I think that that connection that he had with Gary
2: Wilson, man, that's Could potentially be a a very dangerous connection, and and we know how good of a receiver and how good of a talent Garrett Wilson was, even when he had Mike White throwing to him, Mm -hmm. uh, Zach throwing it to him. Wilson is a spectacular receiver, and he's probably going to elevate his game, especially with Mr. Rogers in the backfield uh, throwing it to him,
0: right. Well, we got about five more minutes left here, unless you guys do a podcast. It's time for Where You Will See Us. And this week, as we approach Labor Day weekend, it's our first double dip high school and college, although we're going to do college first this time. Reinhardt hosts the season opener against Faulkner in the first college football game in Georgia that has a Georgia team playing. Mercer played in Alabama, and there was a game. At the Celebration Bowl at Mercedes-Benz, featuring two out-of-state teams. But if you want a team from Georgia playing in Georgia, that'll be the Reinhardt Eagles against Faulkner Eagles, the Air Wars. It'll be this Thursday night at 6 o'clock. And Reinhardt in the first NAIA preseason poll, they are ranked 10th. I think that is very high, considering this team has so many questions behind it. You'd think the offensive coordinator was Edward Nigma. And I really am not sure... If, that's, if that is uh, justified, of course, the division is not that good to begin with, so maybe they can't skate through. But again, I got a lot of questions about this team. First of all, who's going to be the quarterback? I think Steven Craig probably will see him under center. But I'm just looking for that first depth chart to get released probably Monday or Tuesday to see where Weinhardt's going to fit. And then on Friday, Daniel and I will be back at the Walsh Athletic, the Walsh River. I'm sorry, the Walsh Field at the Riverview Athletic Complex, as Pace Academy hosts Raider Atlanta Christian. Seven thirty p.m. start for that one on the NFHS Network. Ryan uh, Pace Academy defeated the tenth-ranked Westminster Wildcats 33-31. A s- quarterback sneak with forty seconds left by Maddox Crawford. What gave them the go-ahead touchdown? and then a long, desperate pass for Westminster. A Hail Mary came up short as, as uh, Pace Academy escapes Westminster with a victory, 33-31. Again, they are now 1-1 one one on the season, and they will wrap up the uh, non-conference, non-region slate this Friday, Greater Atlanta Christian at Home. So you can catch us on Thursday, and you can catch us on Friday.
2: Reinhardt, real quick, I do want to say something. Um, John, going back to the top 25, I, I'm looking at the entire top 25, and I'm like, whoa. Um, yeah, you know, Reinhardt being at number 10, um, that kind of surprised me a bit as well. I, I thought they, I thought the Colts would probably would have had them at about 15 or so. I'm not saying that they're right higher than what they are, but this is usually where they are ranked in the top 10 to start out the season. Yes. But I also see Kaiser at two. So that means that tells me something. That Kaiser's gonna be very, very good um this year. And Bluefield received votes to get into the top twenty five. So if you look at Reinhardt's schedule, that they, they do have a top twenty five opponent. Georgetown uh is ranked twenty first. We'll see if that stands by the time we get to Georgetown, which is uh September twenty third, I believe.
0: Twenty third, okay, yeah, I know, I know you two are doing that game because
2: I'll be in Las Vegas. Yeah, Leon and I will be doing that game um, that Saturday. So that's a top twenty five matchup. Mm-hmm. It's possibly the only top twenty five matchup we'll have uh, because Faulkner is not ranked.
0: No, Faulkner. Okay. That as well. That they wasn't a ranked uh, team. But Bluefield,
2: we're gonna have to wait until the, the last day of the season to see Bluefield, right? So, you know, we'll see how good they're going to be. they could possibly come in as a one or a two-loss team, um, their offense is certainly dynamic, and that might be the only team that challenges uh, the Eagles in uh, the Appalachian Athletic Conference. What you think, Leon? I mean, this year Reinhardt's coming through with a new quarterback, right?
0: Yes.
3: And we don't know who that guy is. Right. Right. Thursday. Right. So, so, <laughs> there's a lot of questions in there about that. You know, so um, I think they're, I, I think they should be happy to get a top, that to they get, you know, that's, that's decent, that's decent field position to be ranked number 10.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, they, you know, I, I believe that, you know, by midseason, that will change for the better. So, oh. and you know, you know how Ryan, I think they're, they're probably the best team at home.
1: That I've ever heard. So I, I, they'll, they'll be
0: okay. Well, they got a very tough non-conference home schedule. Um, most of the tough games are at home though. So they not only do they have uh Georgetown, but they also have Southeastern. And they are coming in, I wanna say the Nick I wanna say the 9th of September. I think that's yeah. Yeah, the yeah so the Southeastern Fire coming in for their first visit and their road game at at uh, University of the Cumberlands before that home matchup with Georgetown and then we'll get into the meat of the uh, of the Mid-South schedule. So looking forward to that and again GAC coming in on Friday night to face Pace Academy. Uh Dana, we had uh, a uh, Westminster was trying to do some things that uh, that Holy Innocence did, but Pace even though they did get, get gashed a couple of times I think they play pretty well, considering that this temp that the temperature down the field, the heat, and it's definitely triple digits.
2: Yeah, man. If I was sweating bullets up at the top, I, I can't even imagine what was going on down there on the field. Listen, uh, right up to Brian Hart.
0: Yeah, I do uh, the I same thing.
2: Football, right, Pace, uh, Pace Academy was up twenty-one-seven uh, to end the first quarter, and then Michael Behe just came out and just had a had a game in the second quarter uh to make it a 21-21 lead going in to it. And then once again down we see another great game between these two the schools. We saw it last year. Where it was a defensive stand on fourth down that sealed the game and sealed the victory uh, for the Knights. This time it was kind of like the same thing. Mattis Crawford on the final drive you saw the running game get loose. And there was a big time play that third down play to kill. I, I, I don't know, I have to go back and look at the replay, but I thought that that was deflected off of Cooper Williams and he'll made that catch. So, man, that was the last drive for Pace Academy. But they did, they opened up the run game, Jordan Burns, uh, they put him in the backfield, and he had a 70-yard interception
0: for a touch, uh, return for six. He had two wow. touchdowns on the night, and Christian Johnson really had his first really good game, 124 yards rushing, did not get a touchdown. I was kind of disappointed in that, but that's but that's going to come. I mean, he showed finally that he is over his injury from last year, and he will be that main back in the backfield.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and he's, he's going to be fine, and, and Logan finally got. They were waiting on Zach Logan to get done, going, going, and he did. And it, it was, it was just a recipe for greatness for them. Um, defense still leaving some holes open a, a bit. Still trying to get, trying to find their way. Um, I, I know that RPO hurt them a little bit because you did see uh, all eleven guys come up. There was uh, most times no safety help. That's what VA got his touchdown pass from. Um, it was an RPO, and it was a, a long touchdown pass, I believe, to Morgan. So that one, you know, we'll like fight that. It's it's just about finding the ball, spotting the ball, and just not being out of position. And I, I saw a lot of that from Pacers' defense, but they gutted it out. Great win, and the big three did well. They put their they put their fingerprints on the game. Kill had an interception, and he had a rushing touchdown. Burns had an interception for six. Um, and he ran the ball well. And Kevin Brown Schuler was recaping in the back. No, yeah. he didn't get every single tackle.
0: No, and him. he didn't get a sack either. Gavin Jeffries got the sack.
2: Yeah, Gavin Jeffries had the long sack of the entire ballgame. And so that's what it was for me. And Mattis Crawford, John, what did we talk about? Open up the offense for this kid. And they did,
0: man. Mm-hmm. And, and Nick, I guess Nick listens to us. So. <laughs> And yeah, we kept saying it. vanilla offense. You had an incredibly vanilla offense against Holy Innocence. You got to open it up a little bit. They yeah. did, and it kind of hung in there. But the interesting thing in that in yesterday, uh, I believe, um, was it? It's an 18 region, so only seven were playing. Pace was the only winner in the against non-region opponents. Everybody else lost. Although McDonough did have the night off, they did not play. They'll have their non, another non-region game later in the season. So this region is, it's up for grabs. It really is. We don't know what Stockbridge is doing simply because they played incredible talent. They went down to Colquitt County. Of course, Colquitt's going to win that game. And they got another game against Douglas of Albany next week before getting into the region. So this region is wide open, Daniel. It is wide open.
2: It is as open as they can get. It's probably the most open region you probably would see in Georgia and in 4A. Um the last two weeks, this region has went 3 and 15 outside of region play. Mm-hmm. So, and it's not to say that they're bad teams. It's not to say that, you know, it's just not saying that. Hey, We're going to see some really good football from this team, from this region this year. And mm-hmm. I can't wait till we start region play. And of course, we started off against it, at Lovett.
0: That'll be a week from Friday. All right, that's going to wrap us up here In the last three guys do a podcast. Next week, we'll be talking more football as the week one gets fully underway. So we'll see all the teams in action. We'll discuss that. And, of course, we'll also discuss the NFL as we are will be a mere days away from the start of the season as the Lions host the Chiefs. Thank you very much for paying attention. Thank you to Ben Moore. For 24-7 Sports, we're talking all things Georgia State. Appreciate it. Catch us on iTunes. Catch us on SoundCloud. Catch us on Spotify, Pocket Cast, wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate all your support. I'm John Mordo for Daniel Bolton, Leon Brown. We are the last three guys to do a podcast. We are taking our leave, and we'll see you next week. And have a good night.